tonight we're going to do something a little different. Um, that's it's going to be a little shorter devotional because I know that we're going to actually do some time just fellowship and just hanging out. Um, but I do want to take these times, these these very unique times between like series and mini series to do some more shepherding moments. Um, I know that for us as believers, we see the church as not just simply a building. We understand as Christians that when we talk about the church, it's more than a social group or where people just gather and hang out together, but the church is a family. And as a family, we see each other grow, uh, we see each other, we live life with one another, and sadly, there are even times where we watch or witness one of our people go home with the Lord. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I really want to take this time to kind of help us, just use a little short devotional time to, to really shepherd all of us to think about death accurately. Uh, I know that some of you, when, you know, we've lost Andrew not that long ago, and some of you are dealing with it differently. Uh, others are you grieving more than others, and there is an appropriate amount of grief. I think it's, 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 you know, it's right for us to feel a sense of loss because of, you know, we, you know, he was a, a member of our church and a family to us. Um, but there is something very unique about the Christian experience and the Christian life in that we know that death is not the end. And what guards us from being overly depressed is doctrine. What helps us during times of darkness is doctrine. And how we can cope with death, especially those are loved ones, friends, and family, doctrine helps us with that as well. First Thessalonians is a is a book written by Paul to really encourage the church, to hold fast to the faith. Uh, for the, the church in Thessalonica, in a lot of ways, they were the model church. Uh, they were faithful in all that they were doing. They were diligent in, uh, in pursuing Christ-likeness. But yet, at the same time, there seems to be something lacking in their faith. There's a lot of things that they've done right, but like all New Testament epistles, generally there's at least one or two areas in which Paul tries to correct them in terms of their thinking. It seems in the context here, in this book, there are people that are struggling with loss. Um, First Thessalonians chapter 4 says in verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, that those who are asleep, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And this is obviously after, uh, in the beginning of the chapter, where, tell, where Paul just exhorts these people to just continue to excel still more, to continue to be faithful. Um, they, they were, these are people that, that live, generally speaking, a pretty godly life. This is a church that you want. But, Paul here is helping them, giving them comfort and assurance that death for the Christian is not the end. The Thessalonians were excessively sorrow, 
because one of theirs died, or perhaps even a few of them has passed. And the Thessalonian church, they were worried, they were wondering about those that have fallen asleep, or those that have passed, or, and, the, and those that remain. Like, if, they, if Christ returned, does that mean that the people that died missed out on being with Jesus, and they're worried about that? And Paul here is trying to correct them. He wants to comfort them as well. And I, I, I want to do that for us. For those of you that are listening online or even listening to this recording, my hope is that when we think about death, and it's going to happen to all of us, and we're going to be, if you're part of the church long enough, you'll see your peers go. You'll see some people that are older than you go. You'll see some people younger than you. But the longer you stay in the church, inevitably, people around you, they're going to pass. And I want to just spend this little time, this short time that we have this evening, to have a, a better theology on death, to understand uh, that death is different for the Christian. There was this misunderstanding here in the, in the church, and Paul is trying to comfort them. He wants to give them an accurate knowledge or accurate theology or doctrine about death so that they will not feel depressed. Now, this doesn't mean that we minimize pain or that we minimize grief, but we know that doctrine guards our minds. It restrains and keeps our emotions and our minds in check. Accurate knowledge is essential. Look at verse 13. Paul says, but we do not want you to be uninformed. Paul is concerned for them. He, he wants them to think rightly about death. And they need truth in order to deal with that. He says, don't be uninformed. That means don't be unaware. Um, don't be ignorant about the situation. Uh, they seem to have uh, either forgotten or just need some reminder of, the, of this truth, and that's what Paul is going to do. He tells them that do not be misinformed brethren those who are those, about those who are asleep. Uh, now, we know that this euphemism for sleep is death. And he uses this multiple times. Even just jump down to verse 14. He says those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And then in verse 15, those who have fallen asleep at the end of verse 15. But then he does shift later in verse 16. He said the dead in Christ arise first. So it seems like as he's writing this, he's trying to cushion the reality of of, of death by, by using different words. He's trying to really, you know, we do this, right? We, we use words like euphemisms to explain something that is painful. Or we use things like they've passed away, they've, they've, they've gone on, they're asleep. Um, you know, these things are not wrong, and I think Paul does this intentionally to give them some comfort, but he does balance that with truth. Because those that are dead or are asleep, they're really asleep in Christ or dead in Christ. And I wonder if that's, if this, if we can even shift the Christian culture in the way that we talk about death, that so-and-so passed away instead of saying things like passed away or gone, that we can say they are asleep in Christ or that they're dead in Christ. Because those are theological terms. These are biblical words and phrases that help us think better about death. And as Christians, we know that the reality of death is, is actually life. What we all look for as a Christian is to be with Jesus Christ. So for us, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul here, he's trying to be extremely tender. He's trying his best to comfort the people there. Paul here is writing in prison, and he's, you know, he's, he's writing here in prison. He's, not, he's unable to be there with them, but he's trying to use his words to give them comfort, give them assurance, but also at the same time gently correct them. 
This is asleep, and we understand that term. Um, Jesus used this term before, and uh, it's this idea of just that when you're dead, you look like you're asleep. And, it's, and I think it is accurate to describe someone as dead because they seem asleep, and then we know that one day when, when, when Christ returns and when everything is good again and right and perfect, a person gets up. And it's a perfect illustration of what it's like for us as all believers. We die, we sleep, and then one day we will come back to life again. And Paul here instructs them so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. This is just anyone that has great sorrow. And this is, again, it isn't saying that you can't be sad or to feel a tremendous amount of grief. I think there is an appropriate time for those things. But the way that we grieve is radically different from those that do not have any hope. People that are outside of Christ, people that worship other pagan idols, they don't know how to grieve especially in light of death. Some people might think, oh, maybe if I just exercise, maybe that person just exercised more, or if that person just uh, did more dieting, or if they just try to make up all of these different things, or maybe we've offended the gods, or they, maybe they didn't offend the gods and everything will be fine. But all of those things are lies. Because for the Christian, we understand that God is sovereign, God is in control, and God has purposed everything for our good and for his glory, including the one that's passed away in Christ or sleep in the Lord. We have hope in the view of death. It says here, verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus this is if we believe. This is conditional. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, there is something different about them. And if you believe, and I, sh I hope that all of you do, you have assurance that this is going to be the outcome for you. That those who died in Christ, they will rise again. And this is, again, like John 3.16. This is, this is a gospel in a sentence. That if we believe that Christ died and rose again, that one day in him, because of what we have in him, we will rise again as well. Jesus didn't die and just was left in the tomb. He was the first fruit. He gave an example of what happens after we die. If we believe in him, that we'll one day resurrect. And this is the hope that we have. And it says, that even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Like, where is he bringing him to? Where, where is the Lord bringing them? Well, we know the scripture tells us heaven, to be with him. Jumping down to verse 17, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It is very comforting to know that our heavenly, our, our, our Lord, our Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord, paved the way for us so that we can conquer. Because of him, we have, we have victory over death. And doctrine helps us with that. Knowing appropriate and accurate doctrine allows us to think rightly about death and even find comfort in the truths of Scripture. To illustrate this, Genesis chapter 5, if you'd like to turn there, feel free to go there with me. But I was thinking a lot about this particular passage as I was thinking about 1 Thessalonians 4 for this evening. And we know Genesis is a book of origins, how everything happened from creation, everything under the sun, the sun itself, everything, all things are created. And then we see the effects of the fall. The first reference to death was, is in Genesis 2, 
uh, where God tells them that if you eat from this tree, you will die. And we see from there, they, from there, Adam and Eve fell into sin, and then their kids, they, were, they had to watch. I mean, they, they, I guess they didn't watch, but then they knew about how one of their sons was killed by another one of their kids. And as time progressed, sin has crept into all of creation, and people came into the world and returned to dust. But Genesis chapter 5 is interesting because oftentimes when we read through our Bible, Genesis chapter 5 is one of those books that chapters in the Bible we can just kind of skim through because it's just like a eulogy list. Just people that's just in the world and dying and in the world and dying. But I think it's helpful for us to think about the hope that we have in Christ. Because Genesis chapter 5 says this is the book of generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness according to his image and named him Seth. Then the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Seth lived 105 years and he became father of Enosh. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and became father of Kenan. Then Enosh lived 815 years, and he became the father of Kenan, and, the, and he had other sons and daughters. And all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Kenan lived 70 years and became the father of Mehalel, and then he lived 840 years and became father of Mehalel, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mehalel lived 65 years and became father of Jared, and Mehalel lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mehalel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and became the father of Enoch. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch, however, lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, it was not for God took him. Now the reason I read this portion here is to make you see that there were a lot of people that lived a very long time. You see Adam living about 900 years, there's some others descended to live 800 and 900 and 800. Also you get to Enoch, and it says that at 65 years he had a son, and he lived from there 300 years after that, like he, he walked with God for 300 years. And it said that he, he died at 365. So in relative terms, Enoch lived a very short life. In a day and age at that time where people were living hundreds and hundreds of years, almost a thousand years, Enoch lived, relatively speaking, a very short life. In fact, if other people looked at it at the time, they'll think, why did he have to go? And it said that, he, that Enoch walked with God and then he did not. I think when we look at this here, just this passage, we see this reality that for some and not all and and i'm not even sure what this case with andrew not necessarily but just for us in our mind to think about this that sometimes the reason why 
people die young, especially those that are in the faith, it's because God wants them to come home. Because their greatest reward is not to stay on earth for a long period of time, but to return to the Lord, to be with him. Because for every one of us as Christians, our greatest hope is not found in this world. Our greatest joy is not found in this world. And our greatest delight is not found in this world. And sometimes in God's goodness and his providence, he will take young believers back to him. Because that is what every Christian looks forward to. And I know that this is what Andrew's hope is, and I hope that this is your hope as well. That in this fallen world, that there's nothing in this world more desirable and a thing that we anticipate more than Jesus Christ. Every Christian's greatest desire should be with Christ. Don't, we don't lose our life because, again, as I said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think Paul here, back in the first Thessalonians, he's trying to encourage the church to understand that if you know doctrine, if you're grounded in God's truth, you understand that there's this glorious future ahead for all of us. For those that have already passed, there is a glorious future for us. We don't need to grieve as if, the, like the way the world grieves, because we know that, yes, our pain it is probably very severe for some of us now, is passing away. Our, we know that when, when loved ones, believers in, in particular, when they go, we lose their companionship. We lose their, we, we lose their, their comforting presence. We lose making new memories with them. And those things are true, but we understand that we only lose those things for a little while. Because one day in the future, for all of us as believers, we will be, with, we'll be reunited again. And we will have those companionships again. We'll have just that, 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 uh, just that comforting feeling because we are with our Savior. And we'll be able to share more memories again. But this time, not just with one another or saints of old, but because we get to share our, this, all the memories we have in the future with our Savior. Our longing is to be with Christ. And for all the saints in the past, that's what we all, every Christian from every age, this is what we all desire. And this is what awaits us in the future. It's because of that we have this hope and that we do not grieve like the world. Yes, we will feel pain, but those things will pass like all the pain. Death can be tethered by doctrine. And when we think about death, it must be seen through clear doctrine. It's because we know that death is definite for us, that doctrine must dictate how we dwell in this life if we want to not feel this dread because we know where our future destination is going to be. Now I'll end with these words that Paul writes to end our devotion before we go in time of fellowship and praying with one another. That therefore comfort one another with these words. Paul here is just trying to comfort you by reminding us of the future glories that we have. Yes, we've lost one brother in the faith and you will lose more in the future. But do not lose hope. Yes, it, it hurts, but remember the future glories that we will all share one day. And as you trust in that future, if you, as you remember those things, I trust that you will find, you'll put off grief. After, you know, there is appropriate time for grieving. You put off those grief and you put on joy, knowing that this is the future that we will all experience one day.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, thank you for your word and reminding us and giving us hope in a world that does not understand why death happens. We know because of your unchanging nature and because of your infallible word that we have this future one day with you, a place without pain or sorrows or anything that is stained or marred with sin. Thank you, Lord, for paving the way for us by giving us this way that we can be reconciled to you so that we will not have to experience eternity separated and, and feeling your wrath. But by your grace, you send your son to die on the cross for us and to rescue us from our sins and to come back to life and ascend to the heavens, interceding for us, being our great high priest. Lord, we know that you are indeed a good God. And Lord, we're so thankful for the saints that are here and the saints uh, that, that are with you, that we, by your grace we are together, and by your grace all the saints in the past are with you now. And Lord, for those that are still struggling, those that are still grieving, Lord, may you allow them to be comforted by your word, knowing that for those like Andrew and others as well that has placed their faith in you, that this life is the worst thing that we've experienced. And, the, and, the, and there's only good things that is to come in paradise with you for all of eternity. Thank you for this hope that we have in your son. It is in your son's precious name. Amen.